Welcome to Kidney Talk, a program of Renal Support Network, a show that streams health, happiness, and hope to the kidney community. You can download all Kidney Talk shows from iTunes and find a variety of resources to help you navigate this illness at rsnhope.org. Please welcome your host, Lori Hartwell, who has lived with kidney disease since the age of two. Well, welcome to Kidney Talk, everyone. I'm, I'm very excited because I have a, a guest by the name of Bernadette McKnight. And I got to know Bernadette because she sent in one of the most incredible stories to me that I've ever read. And it was entitled Flowers and Rocks. And we published it on our website. And her attitude and outlook about kidney disease and life is just truly amazing. So I'm, I'm looking forward to some inspiration from Bernadette today. So welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm very happy to be here. So tell us a little bit about what it was like when you were first diagnosed with kidney disease and what feelings you had. When I was first diagnosed with kidney disease, I was 16 years old, and I come from a very large family. I had previously been sick as I was younger, but my parents were from the Old South, and it was in the uh, 60s, so... uh, they handled their my illnesses like they would anything else with home remedies. But when my father got a job working for Kodak, they required him and all of his children left in the home that would be added to the insurance company to get physicals. And that's when he found out he had polycystic kidney disease. And each of us had to be tested for high blood pressure and polycystic kidney disease. If we, if we had high blood pressure, we had to be tested for, um, polycystic kidney disease. So I found out when I was 16 years old. I didn't know anything about it. Yeah. (laughs) Well, did they, uh, I'm curious, did they still insure you? (laughs) They, they did. They insured all of the kids. And I was the only one out of the six remaining at home who had high blood pressure, so then they went further and they did the test to see if I had cysts on my kidneys, and and they I did. I was immediately put on high blood pressure medicine that my parents, you know, they distributed to me, they gave it to me, because I knew nothing of this. Right, and it was was in the olden days, so there weren't a lot of blood pressure medicines out for, you know, kids. I remember those days they were giving, um, they were giving me adult, uh, blood pressure medication because there wasn't enough children to approve, you know, the studies and all the things they need. And uh, exactly. they were basically experimenting. And I don't know if you felt this way, but I would sometimes just pass out from getting too much medication. <laughs> you know? I, I felt I did feel sick a lot of times, but my parents were very, my father, he did a lot of reading. So I had to take, um, they bought bananas and oranges and it was difficult because the rest of the kids couldn't eat the bananas and oranges. Right. You know, it, it often happens in families when one of the children are sick. Uh, the other children get a little upset with you because of the fact that they think you're getting all the attention. And it's not the type of attention <laughs> yes. you want. <laughs> yes. Yes, exactly. You know what I'm talking about. <laughs> um, so tell us a little bit about when you actually started dialysis. How old were you um, at that time? I was 27 when I started dialysis, and it was pre-dialysis. It was specifically so that I can prepare for a kidney. Okay. So they were waiting 
until the kidney was ready. My sister's kidney was ready. And um, once it was, she was in a place where she could give me the kidney and then I was in a place where I could receive it. They put me on dialysis. You know, that's really interesting because that was back in the olden days. And nowadays they do preemptive transplant. They would have never put you on dialysis. But in the, you know, 70s and stuff, they had different things and different rules. <laughs> yes, they did. They did. So in, in their mind, they were cleaning my blood and preparing me for the kidney transplant, which should have happened within the next five months or a couple of months. But as it turned out, I got an infection from the graft that Ugh. the doctor put in me. And that Ugh. put everything off for almost seven months. Wow. From the dialysis access, you got an infection. Right. Okay. Right. It was, it was a really bad one, too, because they want them. The infection was bad enough. I was hospitalized for that. And then they turned around. They had to put me in the hospital for uh, the effects of the medication that they gave me at that time, it made my blood look like I had leukemia. So here they are thinking that I have something else. Right. And they want to treat the leukemia, and they didn't know that it was a side effect of the antibiotic that they gave me. Oh, wow. So when did you, how old were you when you got your first kidney transplant? I was 29 years old. And when I was finally ready. And did it work? My sister gave me a kidney transplant. It was a six-point match. Wow. It they matched so well, it looked like we were twins. Yeah, six antigen is the holy grail of transplant. If you can get that every time, you're doing good. So I got the kidney transplant, and one of the medications that they gave me, it started failing after six months. And oh. I had a lot of um, a lot of side effects from the medications. And while they're doing the juggling acts with the medications, I ended up back in the hospital for almost three months because one of the medications they gave me, actually the kidney had a toxicity to it and they didn't figure it out until the kidney was damaged. What was the, what year was this? This was in 1998 and it was a hospital in upstate New York we had only a few choices, but they didn't figure out that the cyclosporin, and it was way back when I had to take the cyclosporin, it was a liquid form, and I had to put it in a small syringe and then put it in chocolate milk. Right. I remember those days. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I know. So then I had, I, it, hey, that was the days when I had to take my iron in hot tea. They gave us something, for, and it was so strong, it could sweeten up a full cup of tea. You didn't even have to use sugar. Well, you know, what's really interesting, Bernadette, is that, you know, for all the people listening, is that, you know, you don't know how good you have it right now. No. <laughs> no, I know. I, I mean, know. that's that's not really good to hear when you're, you're suffering. It's still a horrible illness. But, you know, we've come a long way in, in how things are treated in transplantation and kidney disease and medication and dialysis and it's uh you just got to stay alive for the miracles to happen <laughs> yeah you do you do in fact i'm i'm witnessing a miracle with my son he went on dialysis when he was 26 and mm -hmm. he came to live with me 
And during that time, I went through all the things that he went through with peritoneal, which the rules changed on peritoneal as well. And now he has a kidney transplant. And to me, it's, it's, I'm watching a miracle. Right. His kidney is working fine. He is doing all the things that he used to do. He is taking little or no medication. Like one of his medications, he messed up the dosage and he accidentally didn't take it. And come to find out, it was even better for him. His numbers oh. are amazing. Don't do that out there, everyone. You know, don't take that to heart, okay? Because that must have been an unusual situation. It could be very, very dangerous not to take your medicine, and you can lose your transplant. I was going to tell you how how we fixed how he fixed the problem. He still had to fix the problem because he had to start recording everything they gave him and writing it down when they when they tell you to change a dose. You have to keep a record of it at all times. And they, they expressed to him that, but what eventually, what ultimately happened was they had switched out a medication that does the same thing that the other one did, and they didn't have a record of it. Oh. So, that, so it wasn't a permanent mistake. They, you know, it was just a record issue. Well, it's bec- you have to double-check everything. I mean, one time I had a situation where uh, I got a blood pressure medicine that was a patch, and I didn't realize that you changed the patch every week, and the strength was a little high. And I, you know, once the patch was on and they had made an error at the pharmacy of which patch they gave me, they gave me a three instead of a one, and I put that patch on me. I mean, I was like, what's wrong with me? I'm so tired. And I was over-medicated. And I pulled the patch off, but it still took a while to get that out of my system. And so right, you have to right. double-check, double-check. Well, that, that's very um, exciting that, you know, he's able to advocate. And and um, I'm, I, I guess he has a good example. <laughs> yeah, he is. He is. In fact, I, I observed him. He even got the BK virus and was able to beat it within a few months by following the strict instructions of the doctors. And he had to go weekly to have his blood tested to make sure the levels were right. And he, w- he was on it. Right. I, but, but it's just a miracle watching his after I went through the things that I went through to see him, you know, seems like a breeze to me compared to what I went through. But I'm very grateful. I wouldn't have wanted what I went through on anybody. Well, I'm jumping a little bit through your story, but you got a second transplant that, and how long did that work? That one lasted three years. I got it in 2012 and it started failing in 2000, the end of 2015. So I want to jump to, you know, that date. Um, when, you know, your kidneys started puttering out and you had to go back on dialysis and you share in your uh, stories, Flowers and Rocks, that you were very angry and wanted to give up. And I know a lot of people listening, you know, we all feel this way. And what can you share with, you know, how you got through that process of just feeling despair and hopeless um, about your future? Well, since it had been so many years since I I was on dialysis for 22 years when I got the second transplant, I was on for quite a while. 
So going back to that seemed unbelievable. Mm -hmm. I was, I was, this isn't happening. This can't be happening to me. And all the time when I was on dialysis, I chose different methods for combating my depression, meditation. I did oils and stuff, you know, because there's very few things that we can actually take that won't affect something else, cause a domino effect. But this time I actually went and I got counseling from Mm -hmm. our local counseling agency, which is called um, Monarch. And I went in there and I explained to them everything that's going on and how I just don't think I can deal with what's happening to me. And I felt a lot of despair. And through counseling and um, antidepressants, I was able to uh, go through it. And I went through a lot of illnesses after that, too. A lot of reactions from getting off of the medications to uh, having the ultimately having the kidney, the transplanted kidney, removed. So if you don't think you can do it on your own, you need to talk to somebody and get the proper help. Now, how did your family play a role in all of this? Well, my son, he had to bear the brunt of most of it um, during this time. The previous son, my brothers and my sisters, they knew from earlier in my life that uh, I would need some type of support at all times. So they were readily available for rides. Um, I assured them when I went to the hot, my hospital visits, whether it was an important visit or not, I just would tell them, I think, I think you need to come out here. And they were great advocates for my doctors and nurses and hearing things and treatments and reiterating those to me, making sure I follow the rule. <laughs> <laughs> But um, when my son being here and the part that he had, he needed counseling too. He needed to know how, how do I deal with this? This is my mom and she, she's very ill and it's hard to see her like that. So he went to counseling as well once we reached that second transplant failure. Well, and what's, you know, is the big takeaway from this interview is that a lot of people feel that, you know, oh, if I seek counseling, I'm weak. And, Uh um, you know, when you're dealing with such a life-threatening illness, I've been to counseling, I've had situational depression, and I think it actually elevates the fact that we're human beings and Uh we are... We feel a lot. We feel what's going on. And sometimes it's just too much and we need to seek professional help to get through it. And we can't always use our family as our therapist, like saying everything that's wrong with us or how we're truly feeling, because that makes them feel depressed. I mean, if I were to say, you know what, I if I were to tell a family member and there was a time when I had such a severe blood loss that. And I was really anemic. It's it's the one time in my mind that I'm like, you know what? I'm just ready to give up. I don't want to do this anymore. Uh-huh. I can't do it anymore. And 
I couldn't share that with my family because that would have put them in despair. I had to share right. it with people who could accept it that and work with me through it. Like the nurse that was me, I'm like, I can't do that. You're going to feel better. We're going to give you blood transfusions. We're, and they were the ones to actually respond. So you have to learn who to seek out and tell what's going on because of if I were to tell a family member that, oh, I just don't want to do this anymore, they wouldn't have known how to give me the proper answer of how to you know, the mental gymnastics we play with exactly. um, kidney disease. And I'm like, okay, I just got to hold on for a little longer to, you know, get blood. I'm not going to be cold anymore. You know, they got me air, air bear huggers and all uh -huh. the things to make me comfortable to get through that horrible place that I was at one time. And that's just one that I can recall. But, um, so tell us a little bit about, you wrote a blog on our website called Flowers and Rocks, and how did you come up with the term Flowers and Rocks? Well, when I was sick at, after the transplant, I was sick and had to stay indoors a lot. I couldn't take the kids anywhere because the immunosuppressants were so fr strong. You couldn't go to public places back then, not even grocery shopping. And so the kids, they would go outside and play, and my son knew that I collected rocks. So he would find unique rocks and bring them in to me. And my daughter would pick me flowers. Oh, wow. That's so beautiful because it just, you know, reminds you that you're here for not only your own needs, but you're part of a network of people who rely and love love you. And you got to sometimes yes. fight for them uh, to be in their lives. And I really wanted to emphasize something that you said about families. They're there for you, but you yourself need to go and find other help because you don't want to wear them down. You can wear a family down with too much of this stuff. And I know it's a lot for you to take, but what, what the individual has to do is seek outside help besides family. Because at one point, my family, 20-something years, not just me, but my daughter, was on dialysis and she passed away. And now my son, who was on dialysis, is now in a kidney transplant. That's a lot for one family to bear ourselves, but to put it on our family was very difficult for them. So uh, when we finally did start seeking outside help, I saw that the help that they give me was more beneficial. Well, and then, you know, for those of you who aren't aware, polycystic kidney disease is a genetic illness. And, you know, to hear the story of your daughter passing away and your son having to deal with this, um, you know, the same path you are on. Um, mm -hmm. you're, you're just amazing, Bernadette. I mean. Thank you. Uh, Thank you. Um, uh, if we wrap up, uh, what could you tell um, someone who is just told they need to start dialysis? I would tell them, and I just did this at a meeting at a church a couple of weekends ago, um, the main thing I want them to know that it's not the end of your life. It is a change in your lifestyle. I've gone to school, got my degree. I raised my kids. I was a single parent. I went back to work and worked for a state agency for 10 years. Wow. Sometimes you have to fight for your rights, even in the employment arena, but you can do it because you're just changing your lifestyle. Well, it's 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 just remarkable. Your story is remarkable. And one of the things that 
I tell myself is some of my worst days are better than the best days of some people around the world. Uh-huh. And it's all about perspective. Uh, I've never gone hungry. I mean, I've always had a roof over my head. And, you know, sometimes it goes to just relishing the basic things that you have to be grateful for. Yeah. And and to get your mind your joy. Yeah. Your joy. And and start from there to to create a platform of gratitude. And um it's it's really easy to find what you don't have. And but for those of you who think about what you don't have and are resentful for it, you're only making yourself unhappy. It's it's not really, and you're probably some of the people around you. But it, it's a it's a it's not a winning attitude. And uh, so I, I just commend you on your attitude. And you're so delightful. I wish you lived closer. I'm sure we would have uh, great lunches and you know solve the world's problems. <laughs> yes, yes. In fact, um, I wanted to tell you, and I was going to write this here. I don't. I hope you don't mind me saying. But I'm going to be moving to Arizona soon. Oh, okay. A little bit warmer. Because that's wonderful. That's warmer, and the health care is different. It's, uh, the state is more involved in the health care, the dialysis units, the rules and regulations. I've been there three times, and my sister said, for the love of God, please go. <laughs> <laughs> well, you'll we'll be a neighboring state, so I'm in California. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it's very close, and I also have relatives in California. Well, if you come to California, to Los Angeles, please look me up. I most definitely will. Thank you so much, Lori. Well, thank you, Bernadette, for sharing your powerful story. Uh, you can read Bernadette's essay on rsnhope.org. Just type in Flowers and Rocks, and you'll get to read her inspiring story. And uh, hope all share in her wonderful attitude. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Kidney Talk, a program of Renal Support Network. Please make sure to find us on Facebook or sign up for our newsletter at rsnhope.org. Kidney Talk is intended for informational purposes only. It is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment from your physician. Always seek the advice of your own health care provider regarding your medical condition.